You're listening to the Rec2Tech podcast. We connect the tech thought leaders across the globe to deliver content that allows you to make better career and hiring decisions. I want to say again, as always, welcome to another episode of Preparing the Unprepared. This is a podcast that aims to help people in data make much smarter career and hiring decisions. Um, today, I'm actually going to be joined by Kevin Goldsmith, who's the newly appointed CTO at Anaconda. Uh, look, Kevin, where do I start? Look, he's an extremely well-rounded technical leader who over the past few years has worked for some really well-known companies, including Microsoft, Adobe, Spotify, and so many others. He's got an endless list of publications, <laughs> patents, keynotes, um, and interviews that cover everything from giving advice on how to uh, as a startup, compete against big companies all the way through to some more kind of real deep technical dives into things like how to fight fraudsters with computer vision. So with that being said, um, I kind of spotted an opportunity. Uh, there was a topic that somehow he hadn't covered yet, and that was what the CTO onboarding process looked like. So I saw a, a post that Kevin put up recently, um, and I didn't really know him at all before I kind of reached and, and said, hey, look, I've, I've got this idea for an episode of my podcast. And to my surprise, which, you know, I say that on the basis that I can only imagine how busy he is right now. He said, sure, let's chat. So, look, without further ado, welcome to the show, Kevin. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that uh, very nice introduction. Yeah. I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> well, I know you're no stranger to these kind of interviews, so I'm, you know, very excited to, to learn a little bit from you as well. Um, look, some of the topics we're, we're hoping to cover are going to be a, a kind of look into your journey through tech. Yep. Um, hoping to understand kind of what skills are needed to become a great CTO. Um, very keen, in fact, to, to understand what it's like joining an established company um, or an established team as a new CTO, kind of like yeah. what those first few months look like. Um, and then hopefully providing some best practices or some, some advice to aspiring CTOs or businesses who are actually looking to hire senior level technical leaders. Yep. Um, and obviously, this is a pretty rare opportunity. So as always with my shows, which are normally on Thursdays at 11, this is kind of one we threw in here. We, we have live Q&A throughout. So if there's something specific that you want to know, feel free to ask away and we'll post up the, the questions here on, on the live. But um, looking forward to the chat, Kevin. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, it's an interesting day to do this. Um, to, yeah. to your point, it, it, this was the day I had uh, free because we've... Uh, at uh, Anaconda, we've uh, made this a no meeting day so that people can vote. But where I live, uh, we vote by mail, so I voted two weeks ago. So good, nice. Yeah, I've fortunately I just had to sit on the sidelines for now. Yeah, um, not quite at the point where where I can uh, legally vote. So g give it a few years. Well, I just I just came from the UK where I was in the exact same situation. So yeah. Yeah, I'll leave it to the rest of the population to decide our fate. <laughs> um, probably, probably not a topic I'm going to dive too deep into because I'm, I'm, you know, not hugely familiar with with politics. But uh, yeah. that being said, I'm very keen on understanding a little bit more about your journey. Tech is is pretty much my wheelhouse as well. So, sure. I mean, you, you had a, a fantastic start, Carnegie Mellon. Um, you've been in the industry for many years. Um, maybe you can kind of talk us through kind of your journey. Um, kind sure. Of give us a snapshot of where you've been and where you are now. I'll try. I'll try and do the um, the uh, the reasonably short version. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I I went to school for computer science back in uh, the last century, and uh, when I when I graduated back then, um, there weren't a ton of startups. It was pretty much just big companies and. I was very much into to graphics uh, at in university, and so I went to go work for a company called Silicon Graphics, um, mm -hmm. that was focused on building computer graphics hardware. And that was, uh, you know, that so that I was I was very lucky to go find uh, a role with one of the bigger companies doing this this stuff I cared about, and that happened to be in the Bay Area. So then I was now in the Bay Area. Um, I did that for a little bit. I went uh, from there to a, a film and picture or film and TV studio to do computer graphics for TV shows and motion pictures. 
Uh, and that was sort of an interesting time as kind of these new studios, that, that technology was becoming uh, more accessible and all these new studios were popping up and some of these more established studios like the one I worked at were struggling a little bit around price and things like that. Um, the studio didn't do too well. I ended up uh, going to Microsoft Research. So I joined Microsoft literally, I think the week or two before Windows 95 shipped. So I joined uh, Microsoft Research right as it started. And that was kind of a cool time to be there because yeah. it was really, really early. Uh, they were building this new graphics group. I got to uh, you know, hang out with the people who wrote my textbooks um, in college and, and things like that, which was nice. awesome. I spent uh, several years there and then uh, decided I wanted to be closer to actual product development joined the Windows media team, um, which at that time, you know, streaming was just really getting started. Real was out, Windows media was going, um, did that. And during this time, all the startups were going on. And this was the kind of dot-com explosion. And I decided, you know, after having been at a, a company when I joined Microsoft, I think it was maybe 18,000 people, which was, which was a big company. But when I left in uh, 2000, it was about 80,000 people. Wow. So I went from that to a company that was about 50 people. So I, I really wanted to do something a, a little bit different. Uh, then the dot com explosion, dot com uh, bust happened. So that startup went down. My next startup, I joined, a, a started a startup with some people. That startup went down. We couldn't find any money. Uh, went back to Microsoft. Uh, was there for a couple of years in the Windows CE team. And then Adobe called. I went to Adobe and uh, I was very, very lucky. Adobe was a, a really great company to work for. I very much enjoyed my time there. And there, you know, prior to prior to that, like I would be a senior developer or I'd be a lead um, or sometimes I was a manager, sometimes I was a developer, kind of went back and forth at Adobe. I joined this team and uh, they didn't there was no manager. And after being with the team for a little bit as kind of like the senior developer, I decided, you know what, actually, I think I'd like to, to move into management for real. Mm. And that kind of started me on my management path. And so at Adobe, I was a manager, then senior manager, then director, um, grew this one team from sort of its beginning to about uh, 14 people, then joined this new product team called Adobe Revel, uh, grew that to be about 50 people. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm building a whole new product family for Adobe, which was more in the consumer space, which kind of brought me to the attention of Spotify. Mm -hmm. uh, Spot Spotify contacted me. They needed someone to run essentially the, the product team, product engineering team. And so I, I joined Spotify and moved to Sweden um, and with my family. And so we, I was there for several years. Um, grew that, became a VP at Sp VP of engineering at Spotify. And after having been there for a few years, I was kind of ready to do kind of the next, next level. And uh, I became a CTO. I moved back to Seattle to be CTO at a company called Avo. Um, Avo had been around for a while, but this was my first time kind of stepping into a CTO role in an existing company. Mm -hmm. uh, the helped that company for a few years um, get it had it, been getting challenged by Google. We kind of got it into a bit of a better place, which and started looking at possible acquisitions, which interestingly made us an acquisition target. So we got acquired uh, with successful exit there. And uh, me and the rest of the leadership team, uh, we were a growth team. It was not, it was moving into being more of a performance company. So we all kind of went our separate ways. Uh, did a, another early stage startup as a friend, uh, as a favor for a friend that was a VC. And then uh, went to Onfido, where I was a CTO. That was in London. Uh, again, uh, CTO joining an existing company. Uh, was there up through the pandemic. Uh, when the pandemic happened, um, my family, because I've been actually kind of going back and forth from London to Seattle, my mm. family was still here when the pandemic happened. I said, well, I, all right, I'm going to go back to Seattle to went before London lockdown. So I worked uh, for Amphitheater remotely for a while, and that just wasn't working. So I uh, moved on and then now at Anaconda. So 
yeah, I've done this kind of join a new company as CTO or join an existing company as CTO now for this will be my third time. Wow. So what about the short version? What's the short version? Yeah, that is, well, that is the short version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite quite a, an interesting journey. And I think there's a couple of key takeaways that I noticed there and that you you took opportunity. You, you kind of took risks. Um, when something presented itself, you, you went for it. Yeah, I think that's true. I think the one thing that uh, I would characterize sort of as I got more experienced one thing that did change, um, I think earlier on, I was I was doing a job. Somebody came to me with a sort of interesting job. I said, oh, okay, I'll go do that then. Um, and it wasn't purposeful. It was, it was sort of like, oh, that sounds cool. I'll go do that now. Mm. And as I kind of moved into, kind of moved through my career, I started to realize, you know what, actually, I do need a bit of a, more of a plan. I need to start thinking about not only what is my next job, but what is the job that I'll have because I had that job, right? What's the job after? And I started thinking a little bit more in terms of kind of where did I want to go and how, what was the best way to get there? And so really Spotify was, you know, at the, at the time I joined Spotify, it was a cool company, but it wasn't exactly, you know, Spotify, right? It was a one of the streaming companies. And right. Um, but what I liked about that company at the time was just the way they did things in a really different way. And I knew if I went there, I was going to learn a lot. I had yeah. a strong feeling that they were going to keep growing and that was going to let me go and be a CTO, which was, which was my goal. Um, and so, you know, that was the other thing is I could have stayed at Spotify. It was a great place to work. I loved working there, but I knew I was never going to be Spotify's CTO because the CTO was never going to leave that job is the best job in Sweden, right? So I, I really uh, liked the CTO, but I was never going to have his job. So I knew that if I wanted to kind of get to my goals, I was going to need to go somewhere else. And that's when I kind of got to that point where I could go and do that. And yeah. so that was the time, I, it was time for me to move on. I'd kind of learned what I wanted to learn. So mm -hmm. I, I think I got a lot more purposeful, a lot more deliberate as I kind of moved through my career as opposed to just finding a cool opportunity and, and jumping on it. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, maybe I'm assuming here, but Spotify at the time, you, you're a bit of a musician yourself, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Was, was, was there more of a, an interest just because of the nature of the business there? Or did you follow the, the specific role to go and develop your skills? What, what was the decision at that point? Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned, I had been on, uh, I had been on the Windows Media team, uh, I mentioned that I'd started a startup. I, I yeah. left my, I'd left Microsoft to join a startup. That was a streaming, uh, streaming media startup. I'd started a streaming wow. media startup, and okay. actually, I, di I didn't mention my my very first job when I was still in university. It was actually at IBM Research, where I was working mm -hmm. on very very early streaming. So, beyond the okay. graphics part, which also kind of overlaps with streaming. Uh, I kind of had a long history of streaming, but yeah, obviously, of course, I'm I'm also a musician. I've run a record label, um, was the general manager of a radio station in uh, in university. So I had a I had a you know I had a long, I had a strong affinity for for Spotify on that level as well. Brilliant. And do you think the turning point for your career in terms of taking that next step? Because I want to kind of move on to a little bit later in the conversation that like best yeah. practices for aspiring leaders or CTOs. Was it building that strategy, like having yeah. developed all of those skills and then finally saying, okay, now I want to take them in a certain direction? So, I, yeah, definitely. I think the the big change for me and just the way I thought was just really thinking about my career. Yeah. Um, and part of it was, you know, getting into companies, you know, when you're young and you're the youngest person on the team and you see all these people doing these jobs that maybe you might want to do someday. But, you know, they're older than you and you figure, okay, well, I'll figure out, you know, I got a lot of time. And you get to a point where now you're starting to be older. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're getting older than the people you work for. And you start looking at, well, especially if they're in jobs that, you know, once, like I said, I kind of went back from being, uh, back and forth from being like a senior developer or architect to um, being, a man being a manager and not really sure which way I wanted to, do, to go. Once I was sure I wanted to go and I realized, okay, I'm working for people. Now I'm only working for people younger me, younger than me, but their boss is younger than me too. 
why are they, you know, what did they do differently to get to that role? And I realized, oh, they just decided, they made that decision much earlier than I did. So it's not that they, um, you know, obviously they're the right people and, uh, and all that stuff, but it was also that they made a decision earlier than I did, you know, this is the way I want to go and then started working towards that. So once I made that decision, I'm like, okay, well, you know what? I actually like the, I like managing people. I like the, yeah. the aspects of that role. Okay. Well, the, what's the, what's the kind of, what's the path there? Oh, it's CTO. What do I need to do to become a CTO at a, at a company? And then very much kind of thinking through what would the next role be that would get me in ready to do that job. Um, so that was really the, the important thing, I think. Um, and when I, when I mentor people, whether they're developers or managers, and that is the, the advice I give them is, is think about kind of what you want to do eventually. And then, you know, when you look at a new job, think about, is this getting me towards that or is this just not? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's I easy. see that all too often as yeah. a recruiter. People just kind of, they're in a job for being in a job and an opportunity might present itself and I might take right. it, but the people who have a plan are typically the most successful. Um, leading on to that, what were the core skills that you identified that differentiated you from being just another developer to a leader and then someone who could lead leaders? Because that's another step in itself, right? So it was, a, it was an interest, you know, so so I, I was, I think, as a developer, I, I kind of think of developers in kind of two different ways, right? You're either a specialist or you're a generalist. If yep. you're a specialist, you become sort of a deep subject area. And that, that could be, you know, um, file systems or databases or networking or something, mm -hmm. right? You, you just have a passion around it. You want to be the best kind of person at that in the world. And, and or you're a generalist. And if you're a generalist, you're really good at kind of picking up new technologies and, and being able to contribute quickly on stuff you don't understand quite as well, which is, is also a really interesting and valuable skill set. I was a generalist, right? I did um, streaming media, then I did graphics, then I did, you know, I, I did a lot of different kinds of things. And I was good enough at that, that I could pick up a new technology and learn it and contribute mm -hmm. on a team quickly. But I was never going to be the expert, right? I was an expert, maybe relative to other people on the team, but I was never going to be like a world class, any one of these things, right? I was never going to be a world class graphics person. And I, and I was around, you know, especially being in a group like Microsoft Research, I was around plenty of those people. So I knew what that looked like, right? Mm -hmm. And I knew that wasn't going to be me. Um, so that was one thing, right, is, is understanding that. And so if you're that, it actually makes it harder I, it, it is possible, and I do know people like our principal scientists or you know uh, fellows at companies that are generalists. But it's it's much more common to be that kind of specialist. Separately, though, as I said, I like I would do the management thing, and I realized that uh, I actually liked. I started to really appreciate the challenges of of managing people. It's very, very different. Um, motivating people, especially if you like programming, right? The answer is right or wrong. Like it compiles or it doesn't compile. It passes mm -hmm. the test or it doesn't pass the test. It's very black or white. In with people, it's always shades of gray, right? And you fix something and it breaks again, right? You, yeah. you fix these two. These two people are are not getting along. You work with them, they get along, then they don't get along again, right? Mm -hmm. This team is working, it's not working. So it, it's, it's a very kind of different challenge, but I really started to appreciate that. And then I really started to take that job seriously and try and get better at that job. Anyway, um, I think I lost the thread of your question. Oh my gosh. Okay. I got off on my topic. More, um, more to the, so no, I, th I don't think you did. I think you're, oh, okay, you're touching right. on the things that made you a, a, you know, the difference between being a developer and a leader and you started okay. to identify Good. That, All right. these uh, particular skills. And then we can talk about man being managing managers. Think, okay. Yeah. Thank you. I got, I, I got, <laughs> I got ran, I got on my thing and then I, I wasn't cool. sure I was answering your question. Okay. So I started to actually appreciate that aspect of it. And, and to be honest, like, as I, I started to manage a bit of a larger team, I really started to appreciate the value, not only of working with individuals and, the, and growing individuals and, and seeing them grow, you know, thanks to your mentoring and things like that, mm. which I, I really appreciated, but also 
the value of like how you structure a team and how you set up the team and the processes around a team and how that team relates to the rest of the organization and the value there and what can happen when you put a really good team together, how much you can get done relative mm -hmm. to just a group of random individuals that you're picking based on skill sets. So I got much more into that, those ideas and how do I make first my team and then eventually like multiple teams that I'm responsible for, how did that make that group as efficient as possible? And I started really um, doing, trying things out and seeing the problem and then working with the, working with the folks on my team to kind of uh, fix that problem and make the whole organization more efficient. And uh, that worked up to, you know, I can, I could do that just kind of on my own up to about a certain size of team. And I think that was really where I was at Spotify team got to be about 75 or 80. And wow. I was now responsible for a large enough team that I couldn't be on top of all the details anymore. There was just, there were multiple teams. Each of them had their own things going. Mm -hmm. um, and I was managing through managers, but I was still really in way too many of the details. And it was starting to, honestly, like I, I just couldn't scale myself anymore. So I reached, a, uh, I reached a point that a lot of managers reach, which was, you know, I can't, I'm struggling to scale for my organization, right? And I'd kind of also gone through, there's another wall managers uh, hit as well. When you go from being the, you know, for a long time I was a manager, but I was also still coding, right? And going from the coding manager, the, the player coach, some people talk about it, to like a full-time manager because you just are responsible for so much stuff. Um, those are, that's the first wall you hit. The second wall you hit is now you're managing managers, but the team is so big that it's really hard for you to, you, you know, you, you, I was one of these people that was uh, always on top of the details. I knew everything. I knew everything that all the teams were doing. I was in all the Slack or, you know, IRC channels. I was on all the mailing lists. I knew everything that was going on in all my teams. Not that I was like inserting myself into their discussions, but I could see things go off track early mm. and see teams having problems and then kind of step in. I got to a point where I couldn't do that anymore. And then I had to learn how to delegate more effectively. I had to learn to step back and trust the teams, make sure the people in those roles that were responsible for those teams and let them do their thing a little bit more. And that was kind of the, the next hurdle where once I kind of figured that out and I can talk about how I did that, but mm. once I sort of figured that out, then now, okay, now my team uh, didn't need me anymore. Um, which is a bittersweet moment, but it's something you have to get through, right? If you're going to oh. manage a larger team. And then I could yeah. now run like a 175 person team or 200 person team or 300 person team because I set up the, the, uh, I set it up so that I didn't need to be in the details. I had good people doing that. I could trust them and I could learn to work a little bit off, but still feel that um, I would find out about things I needed to find out about, and I could uh, work with the, those leaders to help them address those problems. Yeah, I don't think that uh, that kind of progression in terms of mindset is exclusive to technology. Like no, even as, not a, at all. even as a sales leader, probably even more so because you go from being a top performer to trying to to build a team of top performers, and all of a sudden the spotlight isn't on you anymore, and that is a difficult thing to get over. Uh, as a salesperson, at least from my perspective, oh, and, yeah. and it is a shift in mindset. Um, and then I guess a common mistake that I made was that to hire other leaders, I just thought, well, I'll just hire three or four of myself. Right. And that doesn't work either. No. So what, what were some of the common mistakes or what were some of the mistakes that you made that you think other people, at least if we talked about now might see ahead of them happening, you know? It really is this, uh, it really was this thing of, um, well, let, let me talk about going from from player coach to, to just kind of full-time yeah. manager, yep. right? So I was really lucky. At the time, um, I worked for a really, I had a really good boss, um, is uh, Fritz Haberman. He's CEO at uh, PicMonkey, or yeah, I think PicMonkey now. Um, but he was a VP at uh, Adobe at the time. And I was running this, uh, this first team where, okay, the team had gone to be about 18 people. 
And I was still insisting, right? Because I joined the team when it was early. So I was still a developer. And I and there was part of the product I built myself. And now other people work on it, but I insisted on having a feature in every release, uh, or at least a few features in every release. And uh, but the team was now so large that I was really struggling to get my features done on time. And uh, at a certain point, uh, Fritz said to me, you know, who's the worst developer on your team? And I said, well, I don't, you know, I don't know. They're all the developers are all pretty good. I don't think I want to point out. And he's like, you are. I'm like, what? <laughs> you're, you're late. You're late with your feature every time now, right? You're, you're the one holding up the rest of your team because you're insisting on, on having these features. So you got to let go of that. And that was, I, I sort of realized because I think at the time I was asking for permission, like the company was actually shutting down, like just to, for a break between Christmas and New Year's. Mm -hmm. And I needed his permission to actually work those days because I was so far behind on the the release. And he's like, you you got to stop, like you got to yeah. let go. And that was a real, you know, I had that sort of that moment where I realized, oh, okay. And so I was lucky that way. But I when I mentor other managers who struggle this is like the classic developer problem It's probably the classic sales problem as well right like how do i stop like from owning some deals and things like mm -hmm. that it really was that real it real that is the conversation i have to have with them which is you know is this your time in this deal your time on this feature is this actually preventing your team from getting more done? Are you the one holding up your team now? And that at that point, if you have that self-realization, if you have that, if you don't have such a big ego that you're like, oh no, no, I'm the one. If 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 you're the one saving your team, that's a problem too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it really is coming to that realization that the best thing I can do to make my team successful is to get out of that detail and let the team do it and just support yeah. them. And that was that was kind of the realization I had. That's a realization I think everyone needs to have at a certain point. Yeah, it's it's. I've been there, so I I know that feeling. And um and there's definitely a point in time where you do have to step back and go, okay, I, if I'm saving the team or whether you're, yeah. you're you're doing too much. Um, actually, it got to a point where there was a certain realization in in my particular position where. I realized that I probably wasn't the best person for that job. Yeah. You know, the people management element, at least in the short term, while I'm trying to focus on some of my own stuff, the guys in the team weren't getting enough attention. They weren't getting yeah. the, the level of development that they should have been getting. So we brought someone in that focused on that exclusively. Yeah. Um, and actually the dynamic of the team drastically improved and it kind of hurt. I'm not going to lie, it hurt. Right. I was like, oh, so it was me. <laughs> I think I, um, I I think sales is even in some ways sales is even more that way because it's so numbers driven, right? Mm -hmm. So engineering, you 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 have this you know you have this kind of idolization in a bad way, idolization of like the ninja or the rock star or the person who saves the team yeah. by doing some some amazing feat of work or something. But in sales, it's really like who's got the numbers, who's closing the deals, who's got the who's uh, who's hitting their numbers. And that I think has got to be a lot harder to step away from because you you know that defines you for so long um, in your career, and it's what gets you to that certain point. But it's not going it. to take you take you past. Yeah, exactly. It is it is the one thing that will get you there. Um, yeah. you, you often have to prove yourself in order to be then respected in a role like that. So, right. with that in mind, it kind of takes us on to another thing that I wanted to ask, and that's moving into a new business. You've yep. got an established team, an established company that has process in place. Um, how do you start to to get buy-in from, I guess, from everybody, from stakeholders yeah. to developers to you know anyone that you really are going to collaborate with over the the coming years? Where so, I yeah, I think one thing that I think that starts in the interview process. So, mm. one thing I've done because um, I you know because I'm I'm in week five of of my new mm. role, so I was talking to a few different companies and. One of the things I insisted on, not every company, you know, when you're interviewing for a CTO role, sometimes, you know, they'll have you interview with the head of product, they'll have you interview with like a director of engineering or VP of engineering, your your peers, but that a lot of times that's it, right? You interview with your peers, maybe interview with your direct reports, but, but no one else. And so I would actually insist, no, I want 
to meet developers. I want to meet the teams, right? One of the things I really actually appreciated about the Spotify interview process at one point. So I was, you know, I flew from Seattle to Stockholm. I'm completely jet lagged. I do two solid days. You know, at this point, I'd already done, I think, about 12 hours of interviews. Mm -hmm. But now I'm two days in Stockholm interviewing. And at one point, they threw me into a room with the entire 50 person at that time team and had them all interview me. And, you know, like that was was tough. But at the (laughs) same time, right, every person in that organization felt like they'd at least had a chance to meet me before I became their boss, right? Yeah. And I really liked that aspect of it. So when I showed up, like everybody had at least met me. Um, so I would do, I didn't ask for that, but I would definitely ask for like, I wanna meet uh, different people from the team, the, the you know, individual contributors so that uh, they at least feel like they've had some input into the process. I'm not something the CEO has decided, you know, here's our new CTO. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that helps just that the team feels like they've gotten buy-in. I think that's where it starts. But when you show up, it is very much the the attitude you come in with. So I don't come in with an attitude of, well, I'm here to save you. You know, whatever you were doing sucked before, I'm here, I'm gonna just fix all that. I, I very much come in with the fact of the company is existing because somebody's worked really hard to make it, make it so. And, you know, I'm here not to just fix everything i'm here to understand like what's working and what i can help Mm -hmm. with and i'm going to come more as uh learning and and trying to understand before i try and and make a change and when i do make a change or when i do think it's we should do something in a different way i'm not just going to impose it we're going to discuss it we're going to talk about why i think it is that way i'm going to give you a lot of input into it i'm not just going to assume i know better than the people who might have been at the company for five or even 10 years. And so that's an important part of it is coming in with a a respect for the company and a respect for what they've done, even if they're struggling, right? Um, Even if a company has had challenges, you know, there's something that they've done that's gotten them to that point. Like I said, when I joined Avo, Avo had been around for eight years. It had, had, you know, I was the uh, second CTO in the company. They'd gotten to a really good point. They were having, they were being challenged by Google and they were um, struggling, but they were still a very successful company mm-hmm. coming from zero, right? So if I came in, just went like, whatever you're doing sucks, I'm going to fix it all. That, that would have been incredibly disruptive and very, and to be honest, very rude, right? It's instead of like, you did some good stuff. It's gotten you to this point. Like, let me figure out like what I can do coming from the outside, different perspective to help as yeah. opposed to, 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 to solve all your problems. That means a lot to people. They, they appreciate that, that, that sort of understanding and respect for what they've done to get them to that point. That's an important part of it. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So you, you're five weeks in now. Yep. I mean, do you just hit the ground running? What, I mean, where, where do you start? Is it just a case of doing your due diligence, getting to know everybody first? I mean, what, what does it look like? So the first part has got to be uh, just getting to know people. Um, mm. So, you know, if you're lucky, uh, I've joined some companies where they really just expect you to they drop you. Uh, for some reason, almost every time I've joined a, a company as a CTO, it's it's usually right before a board meeting or, or right before uh, some important something or other, right? Where I'm like, well, I'll join in uh, in a few weeks. Oh no, no, you can't join that. You got to join right now because the board meeting's next week. You need to be here. And like, okay, okay. So sometimes um, the companies really like they're if they're worried about something, they really want you to like get in, start doing stuff. I try and resist that if I can um, because I do think it's important for me to get to meet people, yeah. understand the personalities, understand sort of the the things as they are now again, before I start making, before I start wanting to change something, but sometimes um, CEOs or boards are really kind of uh, fixated on, there's this challenge, there's this problem and we need you to come solve it right now. Um, but luckily that's that's not always the case. Most of the time um, I can take a little bit of time and it only takes a few weeks really to go and, and meet all the key people, meet the teams, kind of see them in place, see them in the way that they are 
and start to build a, a mental model, right? And one of the things I did uh, at prior companies, uh, at Avo, I had, it, it was like, oh, you need to be here at the board, there's a board meeting. But um, they did give me the time to like go and I met with every team in my organization and actually in a lot of the other organizations as well. And I was able to ask them, you know, what's working? You know, I'm brand new, right? I have no responsibility for anything that's happened before. And as far as you're concerned, I can fix any problem that exists because I'm new, right? So what do you want me to fix and what do you want me to, to not screw up? And just those two questions to each of those teams, I made a massive list mm -hmm. of the problems that people perceived and the and a massive list of the things that were working well. And then I could kind of affinity group them across teams and understand, okay, what what's really working, what's really not working, what are the kind of Uber problems, the the meta problems that these specific teams complaints are about, what's wrong with the system? And then I could start figuring out how I messed or that's a bad word. How, how I how I worked with the system to actually improve the overall things. That gave me a lot. Uh, that helped me a lot there. Kind of really change uh, the the kind of fundamental challenges that the organization was having. Whereas if I fixated on each of the little problems, I would have um, I would have fixed a lot of small stuff, but I wouldn't have fixed the the real problems. Yeah, sure. And I'm trying I'm... to do that very much at Anaconda as well. Yeah. So it's it's very, I mean, there's a lot of strategy involved in, in yeah. joining a new business as a CTO. And that time frame from first joining to then starting to make some sort of impact, some noticeable impact, because I guess a yeah. lot of the smaller stuff you don't see, certainly from a, an ROI perspective, when the company goes, well, we haven't made $50 million more, so what's he doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what, what does that time frame look like before you, you see a noticeable impact as a CTO? typically it's going to depend on the company it's really going to be very context dependent because okay. um it depends where the company is in their process and what their challenges are if the company's under siege or if the company's really struggling you need to actually you need to actually demonstrate that you're bringing value pretty quickly and it could be yeah. small wins just visible wins as a, as a way to do that if the company's actually doing pretty well but they're um that they, they they you know they're, they're doing well but they think they could do better then it's a little bit more of okay let me figure out sort of what the thing is i think you do need to start looking for kind of visibly moving the needle i would say probably in the i think you probably have maybe four to six weeks maybe two months at most so like now um like at, at, at anaconda now i think i've got the lay of the land I, i'm not I don't understand everything. Anaconda's what, what Anaconda does is so broad in scope and there's so many pieces to it. I don't have every understanding of every piece, but I understand the general lay of the land. I sort of see which pieces are working pretty well and they really don't need me messing with them. I'm just going to make things worse. And which things I think I can look at and go, you know what, oh, I, I think if we made a few changes here, we'd actually get some visible improvement. And that's where I'm starting to dive in on and just supporting the, the the leaders in those areas and helping them maybe approach the problem in a bit of a different way so that we can get some kind of measurable improvements. So I do think, you know, I would try and do that within the first month or, mm -hmm. you know, six weeks. But like I said, some companies, they want you to do that day one, come in, fix stuff. And you just have to be aware of the, the world you're working in and why they hired you instead of someone else. And if they hired you because they wanted you to change things on day one, if you don't start doing that, they're going to start wondering why they hired you. Yeah, that, that's fair. So case by case, really, depending yeah. on whether it's that size, et cetera. Uh, I want to kind of just throw a question in here because um, we had someone ask a question that, a little while back, and I want to make sure that sure. we keep engaged. This is John Boone. Thanks for sending us in. Oh, assuming. Hey, uh, appropriate training, motivation, and aptitude in your experience. Do generalists tend to do better in an individual contributor role or a manager role? It's personal, you know. So um, for me, as a generalist, I think I realized that I wasn't going to be. It's probably not going to be a a, a a Adobe fellow. I just wasn't going to be a, an Adobe fellow or Adobe principal scientist. Um, that there are people that are do that there, but I wasn't going to be one of them. And so that was part of the realization of, you know, actually I like this manager thing, but 
I don't think anybody should be a manager unless they actually are really interested in people and in yeah. supporting people and in growing people and in teams and in team, uh, how to build successful teams. If you don't care about that stuff, if you aren't interested in succeeding through others, you're going to be a crappy manager. Um, and so I would say really, it, it doesn't really, I've seen um, specialists become good people managers. I've seen generalists become good people managers. So um, I do think the one thing that generalists may work a little bit better as manager is, you know, part, especially as you be, move into more senior manager, managerial stuff. I was a developer. Um, I, and I was, you know, building desktop applications. I was building server stuff. I was building streaming stuff. I manage people today. I've managed data, data scientists. I manage testers. I manage lots of people who don't do the job that I did. Right. And I, if I couldn't kind of figure out and understand what they did and understand why it was valuable and, and understand some of their bigger problems, I think that would be a lot more challenging for them. I wouldn't be as good of a manager to them. So in that aspect, I, I do think general, that generalists have a bit of a, an edge there because they can kind of learn about an area that they don't, haven't done themselves yeah. and, and actually like support someone doing that. Whereas I think a specialist might have a little bit more of a challenge just because they're so deep in one particular area. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, you need both of them, right? To, to have a, yeah. a well-rounded team. Um, right. I guess it depends on the individual entirely. But when and, it comes and, and, and depends on the context, right? Like, like you don't want the Windows file system team populated by a bunch of generalists, right? Mm -hmm. and, they, and they don't. Yeah. Like the people on that team, I know some of the people on the team, they're, they're like the world experts in file systems. And that is kind of who you want on that team. Whereas, uh, you know, some of the other product engineering teams, um, you know, you can have a bunch of folks who can do front end, who can do back end, who can do mobile, and do a few other things, then that's really, really valuable in that context. Yeah, that makes a, that makes a lot of sense. So I guess I'm interested to know what, what's been your biggest challenge so far as a CTO? Um, I think the uh, probably um, the biggest challenge I had as a CTO, no doubt, was when we uh, when I was at Avo and we were acquired um, by Internet Brands. So um, we had been, as I said, you know, when I joined the company, the company had done very well for a long time, but it was starting to really be challenged by Google as a marketplace company, and. We, uh, over the time I was there, we'd figured out some of the things we needed to do to, to be much more competitive there. And we'd gone from, you know, seeing our growth erode to, to moving back into a good growth path, right? So we were now increasing growth year over year. And so that, you know, so we were making more money. We were starting to hire into that growth. So it was building the team up to kind of capture the larger audience we had and and hiring you know uh and that was going really really well uh as i said we were starting to look at acquiring other companies we got bought by a firm that you know is a private equity firm and their path was very much you know we were a growth focused startup we were in, moving into scale-up territory hiring very aggressively they came in and um what what we thought they wanted to do or what what they their we had understood their intentions to be once the acquisition closed was not, was not what we expected. And so it went wow. from, Oh, we need you to grow. And we're really focused on year over year growth and moving into, no, we're really interested in margin. And which meant that I then had to, as one of my last things as, as CTO uh, was to lay off people. And, you know, firing people is the toughest part of the job or laying people off, which I've had to do before. But this one, I think, was was the literally the, the hardest one because we'd been, you know, the week before we'd been hiring. Yeah. We went from hiring and with, you know, and, and, and selling people on the vision of where we were going to immediately then having to um, lay people off. And it just, it was the hardest thing. Uh, that's, yeah. That was absolutely the hardest thing I've had to do as CTO because 
you know, it, it was a shock to me. It wasn't obviously if we'd known that was what was going to happen, we wouldn't have been hiring those people. Um, but, you know, just to, to, to kind of do that 180 was was really difficult. And it was yeah. and, to, and to be a strong leader, you know, and, and, a po- and, and to be positive for the organization while that's happening was very, very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you're you're somewhat of the face, right? So you're, oh, yeah, you're the one delivering that message. So it doesn't matter where it came from. That as far as they're concerned in that particular situation, that was you that was laying me off. Yeah, um, and and you know you go from you know it's being the being the person in town hall talking about the rosy future and how excited you are about yeah. this acquisition to to you know and how great it's going to be for the company to like okay this this is happening and this is why it's happening. And, and you got to, you know, one of the hardest parts of being a leader at all, but certainly one of the hardest parts of being a senior leader is, is, you know, you got to, you're, you represent the company, whether you agree with what's yeah. going on and whether you're happy yeah. about it or not, you got to, you got to, even if you're very transparent, I try and be a very, very transparent person, but there's also a responsibility you have to the organization to to put a good face on stuff that sometimes is killing you yeah and out of interest businesses that you've worked for um has there ever been a support structure or system in place for leaders that i guess have to make tough decisions sometimes because there's an element of those decisions that's really hard mentally like you've got to go home and, and try and relax and decompress but you just had to make tough decisions all day yeah and been been sorry you've been told to make tough decisions all day like have you ever seen like, pra- uh, I guess practices or programs in place that that support mental health of leaders? And if so, like, really, I've, what have been the successful ones? I've tried. I mean, I've tried to build those in my organizations. Um, they're the organizations I've been responsible for. If you have a good people team, they'll usually um, try and build some sort of either training program or internal mentoring program. We built a really great mentoring program at, at AVO, I think. Um, but, you know, the, what I've tried to do for for the, the managers and leaders that report to me is, um, if you ever read uh, or read Patrick Lencioni's book, The Advantage, he talks about this kind of notion of a first team and the first team being your peers, right? So... My first team is the senior leadership team at, at Anaconda. And that means like that's really where a lot of my focus is, is supporting the, the head of marketing, supporting a head of sales, um, head of product. And I, you know, I'm responsible for my organization, but I'm not doing the right thing for my organization if, if these aren't the people I spend the time with, which gives you kind of, that's the people that you can talk to. And I try and build that at every level of the organization so that the VP of engineering has a peer okay. that they can talk to. That's their, that's their kind of support group. Cause they're the making, they're making the same kind of decisions. Right. Um, but as a formal program, no, I, for leaders beyond the ones that I've helped to build um, because you're right, you, you really do need it. And I've felt, the that in the past and when i've been part of like these first teams that have been really great that mm. becomes your support group when i've yeah, reached this yeah when i reach the c level if it isn't the cpo or the the cmo or the 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 chief people officer or something that i can do that with within the company i i have friends who are ctos at other companies and you know, we'll do that for each other because you do, you absolutely need someone you can talk to that understands kind of what you're doing. Just like developers need that, just like managers need that at the C-level, you still need that. Um, and you have to sometimes build it. So there's a group of, of, of my friends um, who are in similar roles at other companies and we use each other as support network. And it, it, that's, right. it's important to build that network. Yeah, I really like that. And I, and I like the fact that it doesn't have to be a formal program. Um, yeah. That stuff to build and, and gain trust in, in your immediate manager or leader as well, if, if they are showing you that level of support. Um, I have I have used a coach in the past. Um, I as well, like uh, some people like some people use coaches. I very I had a coach. Um, I loved having a coach. I don't currently, but that's another great um, 
resource if you they can be expensive so if you have some if you can spend spend it or get your company to pay for it that's also valuable nice brilliant um so really the last question is is kind of like best practices things that people can take away from this conversation we can kind of round it up um, if they're an aspiring leader aspiring cto or in fact a business that's looking to to bring in a new leader or, or even the first leader of their technical team what kind of advice would you have for both of those sides of the fence? So if you're an aspiring leader, um, I think the the one thing that was really important to me was really just making that decision. I am going, you know, I, like I said, I was kind of doing both sides, manager and individual contributor was making the decision. You know what? I This is really the path I want to go on. I want to be a manager and I want to be a good one um, as opposed to like a crummy one. And then once I decided to take that seriously, I really just started on developing my craft, um, just like you would as a developer, instead of reading development blogs or learning about kind of new technologies. Well, I, I still did that, but now I was also reading uh, management books and trying to understand sort of how different people in the, this role or the role I was trying to aspire to, how they did their jobs. And, you know, when I was really doing this, there wasn't a ton of great ones. There are now, there's a zillion great books from kind of engineering leaders, tons and tons of blog posts that you can read and kind of build your own kind of picture of how you want to do it based on like how, what you think about how other people have done it. So taking it seriously and really working to be good at it as opposed to kind of figuring it out as you go. Like that was the difference between me kind of when I was first managing, I was just kind of going shooting from the hip, kind of figuring it out as I went to, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to be good at this and really mm -hmm. putting energy into it. Like the quality of me as a manager improved really dramatically when I, when I really started taking it seriously and, and trying to grow. On the other side, if you're a company and you're looking to hire a leader, I think one of the things, having just gone through a process, right, where I've talked to a bunch of companies at, at different stages, uh, the thing I would say is actually know who you're looking for. So one of the things, uh, yeah, I think one of the things I've seen is a lot of companies, they think they want this kind of person, or you have two founders. One founder wants this kind of person. The other founder wants this kind of person. And you talk to the company and you talk to one founder and they're like, oh yeah, I need this, this, and this. And the other one's like, I need this, this, and this. And then you realize like they're looking for two completely different people. And then if you realize, oh, if I actually show up there, there's zero way I'm going to be successful because I'm going to be pulled in two completely different directions, assuming I could even convince both of these people that I'm the right person for the job. Uh, but also knowing what, what, you know, knowing what level of person you're looking for. If you're a five person startup, you need a CTO that's going to architect everything and build the code. You don't hire someone like me to be, to be, you don't hire me to be an employee CTO or VPE in a five person company. That's, I'm, that's not what I do. So that was the other part is I'd get approached by companies. And I'm like, you don't need me. You need somebody that really loves that kind of zero to 50 or zero to 20. I'm, that's not me. I'm your like, you know, 100 to 500 or 100 to 200 to 800 kind of person. Knowing like the skills that you need and also understanding like different people are good at different parts of your company's growth. Um, and, and, and focusing on the kind of person you need for the stage of company you are. That doesn't mean like a, certain, a single person can't grow from zero to, to a, a 10,000 people, but that skill set is, that's a pretty rare person generally. Yeah, it's very, it's, it's funny you say that because now, now you've identified that you do see a lot of startup CTOs have yeah. multiple startups on their resume. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. And I think there's an element of the chase and the excitement around building oh, yeah. a startup that these, these guys and girls like, right? I, I have I have a ton of friends who who love that part, right? They go, they love jumping in at the very beginning, taking a company to you know fifty people, and they've done this. A, a couple of my friends have done this for like companies that have turned into like real serious big companies, done exceptionally well. But when it gets to be fifty people, now they're into this place where they're kind of managing managers or they're kind of out of that kind of early, they get bored. That's not what they, that's not what excites them. So then they'd go and jump in at the start of another company, right? I think one of the th reasons also why I kind of was ready to move on 
at Spotify was I realized, you know, thinking ahead, what happens if I stay at Spotify another couple of years? I was running a, a team of about 175 people. I'm like, oh, next year I'll be running a team of 300 people. What's going to be different from now till then? What it, what's what, what am I learning? And I realized, you know what, actually, like, it's going to be about the same. I'm just now mm -hmm. responsible for more people. That's that I'm ready to go and you know I'm ready to go and do this at a different level. So it is also that kind of understanding who you are, but then for the companies, understanding who you're looking for and the skills that you you really need. You do you don't want to hire like a a, a, a ten thousand person company CTO when you're a hundred people, and that person doesn't want to work for you either. It's not it's not what they do. Right. So it's, it's understanding those kinds of things. But I think companies have a hard time under figuring that out themselves. I have to, yeah, I have to be honest in, in perhaps my um, understanding of that was a little bit, I guess, sheltered when I've worked with businesses and they're like, no, we do need to find a leader who's managed teams of X amount or more. Right. And I'm like, I've got someone here that's got all the skills and he's been leading a team of 10. What's the difference? They're like, yeah. well, there, there is a difference. There's a, is a big difference in terms of the responsibilities that they're going to have. They're yes. not going to be going through that process of being heavily involved in coding and then bringing it to production. And they're going to be people managing. It's a massive difference. It's a completely, it is, you know, having done it at all sizes, right? It is a completely different job running a team of five, running a team of 10, running a team mm. of 20, running a team of 50, running a team of 100, running a team of 150. Those are, you know, after 100, I think, at least for me, it's it's kind of the same. But, you know, running a team of 500, very different job, right? So thinking that, it, it, like I said, there are people who can scale across those different things. Um, and there's people who, who maybe want to do that whole scale, but those people are fairly rare. There's people who are, but you, you don't want to hire somebody for a team of 150 where they're going to be managing managers of managers when they've never, you know, when they've only ever managed individual contributors before. They're not going to be successful. Yeah, very interesting. That's a great takeaway. Very tough for me, actually, as well. I think it will probably make me rethink when I push back, and I'm like, no, this guy's definitely right for the job. <laughs> it's you know, it, you know, I we all, no one starts out managing a team of a thousand. You always Correct. you have to build up, right? But it is that you have to, you know, if you're expecting somebody to be effective, running a team much much bigger than they've ever done before. You just have to realize you're going to have to mentor them into that job. Some and you know it's good to I think it's great to hire somebody that's managed a team of ten to manage a team of fifteen that's growing, and is maybe going to be a team of twenty five or a team of fifty, and and hopefully that person can grow and scale with that team and learn what they need to learn to be effective. Obviously, we all every one of us who's managing larger teams had to do that at one point. Yeah. Um, so it's not that they can't do it or you shouldn't do it but you shouldn't you should also understand like that growth has to happen and you either as a company if you're not going to invest the time adobe invested the time and supported mm. me spotify invested the time and supported me to kind of get through these different levels if spotify had just been demanding results 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 and not you know been able to support me realizing like oh my god i can't scale anymore you hired me to manage a team of 50, I'm managing a team of 80, I'm starting to have scaling problems. If they hadn't supported me to, to learn and to figure yeah. out and to get better and give me that support network, I never would have been able to manage a team of 175. But then by, team, I, by the time I got to that point, I'm like, oh, I got this, I know how to do this, I can know how to support the people. And that was because they, they supported me. If they were instead saying like, no, 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 you got to do it, you got to do it, you got to do it, I would have been an utter failure. So if your company is willing to actually support people through their growth, then yeah, no, hire people that you think can scale and help scale them. Um, but otherwise, if you're not willing to invest that, you just want somebody that's going to come hit the ground running just to, to be able to do everything, then hire that skill set. And, and don't bother like hiring people that aren't ready for it. And also don't bother bringing in people that are way, way beyond that, um, have done much more than that because they're not, you're not going to give them the challenge that they're looking for either. Yeah. It's a great way to end uh, this particular episode, Kevin. I've, I've got one other question, which I'll ask you off air, which, which is kind of process related. Sure. Uh, but certainly been an interesting chat and, and, pretty much our first conversation so i really appreciate you kind of opening up telling me a little bit about your journey i think 
there's so many good takeaways from this and anyone who's kind of taking this journey, whether that be on the business or, or the applicant side, is going to learn a lot from this. So, so really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and for anyone that's tuned in or listening, we go live every Thursday at 11. We've got one coming up this week with Will Focosi. Uh, we're actually going to be touching on something we, we touched on today, which is mental health in tech. Um, so it'd be interesting to talk about his journey, his ups and downs and, uh, and, and get some key takeaways from that as well. So thanks for everyone that was listening. Thanks again, Kevin. And I uh, look forward to seeing you all again soon. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Lewis. Cheers. Thank you.